0: Hello and welcome to a very special edition of the Money Mitch Effect. Today's podcast features the winter sports scene with hockey playoffs starting today. I can't contain my excitement. Got Fox Sports Radio producer Eric Roberts on to preview all first round series. We break everything down, all eight of them, and then make our cup picks. You're not going to want to miss that. And then Todd Speedburner Robinson back to talk hoops. One day left in the NBA season, still so much to be decided. A play in game out west, seating galore who will ultimately play for the NBA title. We're not going to pull any punches when we talk that, and some NBA award talk as well. Rookie of the Year seems to be a hot-button topic we talk about. That is the Money Mitch Effect, and it starts right now. All right, it's my favorite time of year on the Money Mitch Effect. While we like sports, uh, just about every sport, nothing gets me going like the NHL Stanley Cup playoffs. And to preview the start of the playoffs for hockey, the first round reoccurring guest on the show, Fox Sports Radio producer Eric Roberts rejoins the program. Eric, thanks for joining the Money Mitch Effect. It's that wonderful time of the year.
1: Oh, not, not a problem, man. Not a problem. It's the best time of year. You got playoff hockey. Is there's nothing quite like it. It's a different level of of competition. A different level of passion with the fans around the the, the, the league. And yeah, we've got the last handful of teams, and it's I'm I'm itching for it. That's for sure. This was
0: a very notable year in terms of races during the regular season. I mean, even into the last full day of uh, hockey, there was one game on Sunday that, that actually decided stuff, too. But that full slate this past Saturday, Eric, we didn't know what any of the matchups were until that day went down. That's pretty, pretty remarkable. I know there's a, a new format in the last five years or so, but it really did show you that every point mattered in the 2017-18 season.
1: Yeah, it was a, it was a wild finish. Um it, it kind of came down to the last couple days and it kind of was seemed like every team that needed to the wins were getting the wins. It was really a tight finish because there was really no team that kind of trailed off. I mean, the Ducks kind of played themselves into home ice advantage in the first round because they were they were one of the teams that, you know, really put the pedal to the floor and kept winning down the stretch and didn't really have any slip-ups which could have cost them a, a spot in the playoffs if it had happened.
0: Yeah, and we're going to preview every series here, but just some notes on the final end, uh, the the end of the regular season. You mentioned the Ducks playing themselves and really moving all the way up. How about the Flyers, too, finishing top three in the Metropolitan? They needed to basically win to ensure that they'd make the playoffs. They win, get some help, and and they do just that. And Tampa Bay winning that division. Tampa-Boston was the race down the stretch that I was looking most forward to and just the general appreciation for what Taylor Hall did as well. I think that that's what (laughs) I think summed up the end of the regular season race for me.
1: I loved the uh, fact that it was like a a can of sardines on both conferences. There was points where I thought the Kings weren't going to make it in. And then um, even to to the last day of the season, I was like, well, maybe they, maybe they might fall out. So I don't know. But, yeah, there was definitely just notable races. And I think that goes to show that, you know, the talents pretty evenly distributed among these teams. And there's really no clear-cut, I think, favor going into this.
0: Well, let's start with the Eastern Conference. And at the end of this, we'll throw out some cup picks and just have some fun with that. But I want to go through all these matchups, starting with the Eastern Conference. The top team in the East versus the last team to get in. And it's going to be Tampa Bay versus the New Jersey Devils. Tampa Bay, which... Eric, on one hand, had to actually fight to get this spot. They needed Boston to lose the last game of the season uh, to get the the Atlantic Division title. We thought all year that Tampa was uh, a superior Eastern team, but the Bruins were the best second-half team, I think, in all of hockey. They tracked them down. Tampa Bay just irks out in front. Do you see some vulnerability in Tampa Bay, Eric, or do you think it was just Boston showing that they're on their level as a very good team? I know Tampa's goaltending and defense didn't really play as well. What's your assessment of how Tampa finished the season?
1: Yeah, I think it was more of a a, a Boston kind of realizing, hey, we can play with these guys because, you know, I think Boston was underperforming and they kind of did catch fire, which was added to that you know final stretch of the year. But I think Tampa, you know, just maybe leveled out a little bit. We were They were on such a heater early on, and I think that just was really something tough to sustain. So I think they kind of leveled off here towards the end of the year. And came back third a little bit.
0: Yeah, I mean, the pace they were playing at was ridiculous. Even with the second half of the season, that wasn't ultra elite. They still finished with the best goal differential, plus 60 in the entire NHL. And while Visilevsky didn't play spectacular down the stretch, he played good enough. He still made some highlight real saves. And this is still a team that has a lot of offense and that could score... Uh, in a variety of ways. J.T. Miller is even stepping up for them. And when you have Kucherov, who finished top three in points, and you have Stamkos, you're going to be in the mix. I I agree with you. I think Boston just really upped their game and made Tampa Bay have to earn it for that division title. We'll see what happens in the first round here because they're playing a Devils team, Eric, that is what I would say is your typical bad matchup for a lot of these good teams. I think everyone will acknowledge that Tampa Bay is the superior team. And the Devils may be the 8th seed in the Eastern Conference, but Eric, they're a team that has a formula that's worked for them. If they can get Snyder on his game, if Taylor Hall can do a more amazing thing, shout out to him, probably the MVP. But the Devils are a, are a tricky matchup, and probably not the one Tampa Bay had in mind when they uh, were drawing up their brackets.
1: Yeah, and they're, uh, yeah, it's definitely it's, it, could, it could spell upset. This is a typical kind of, you know, are they thinking about the next round matchup? with whoever comes out of, you know, like Boston, Montreal, I mean Toronto, sorry, you know, are they looking ahead past the, you know, maybe a team that people didn't expect to get in. And like you said, yeah, they found a way, they found a formula that works for them and they come in and put their working boots on every, every game. And they might not be, you know, the, the pretty favorite or the, the consensus, but this is definitely going to be a tougher, a tougher matchup than, you know, Tampa Bay could expect.
0: Yeah, and I don't want to hedge my bets too much here. If the Devils get into a track meet, they're going to lose. They could get swept if it's high-scoring games, but if they can play good defense, bog the game down, maybe steal one of the first two games. We talk about how important that is in these best-of-seven series. I think they can do uh, a good enough job here. He's got to be the MVP, though, right, Taylor Hall?
1: Yeah, I would think so. Well, he just he he found a new gear a new gear down the stretch, and what he did was it's just great.
0: I just don't know who else on their team could step up and play. That's why I'm leading Tampa Bay here in, I'd say about six games because I don't think the devils are going to go quietly, but I just don't know. I, offensively, how are they going to get that scoring punch? They can't take penalties because that will be a lot of power play opportunities for one of the best units in hockey. I just, I, I want to lean towards upset at some of these points in, the, in these first round series. Cause you know what happens, but this one ultimately is too hard for me to pick.
1: Yeah, yeah, and that's what it's kind of what you every year you go into, and you're trying to find that upset because it happens every year, and you're not sure. But this one, yeah, I think they're just too deep on the offensive side. I mean, when you got a second line who is just as potent offensively as, you, as your first line is in some cases, yeah, it's going to be tough. And this, they could have a couple games where a penalty goes the other way, and they blow things wide open against this team.
0: Well, the other division matchup is Boston and Toronto, and I think a lot of us wanted this matchup just in terms of the animosity, the history, and the rivalry, the fact that the Bruins and Maple Leafs have some great young players now, the Bruins reloading with some youth, and that's where I want to start with. A lot of of people didn't think this team would amount to anything this year, Eric. They had a very disappointing uh, year down the stretch last year, or into the playoffs last year, but losing to Ottawa in the first round. They had some changing in their roster. Here the Bruins are uh, a phenomenal team, especially at home. Two Rask playing some great hockey as well. It's not just Marchand and Bergeron. I think that's the most surprising thing is it's not the two players, not just the two players you expect to dominate.
1: Yeah, no, and then it's, that's one of the things that I think they kind of shot a notice to Tampa Bay saying that, hey, we can play because they started getting, you know, these additions these late season you know runs they went out and picked up uh, picked up Nash and they have McEvoy you have uh, the, the, new, the new kid Donato you know it's, they're clicking on all cylinders here and with a, a good blend of you know you got the the, the veteran presence still with guys like Marshawn Bergeron and Chara still back there you know it's kind of a, a coming around full circle just at the perfect time going into these playoffs
0: yeah and and with Chara especially I mean the guy's in his 40s now I think one of the best things they did, Eric, was get young defensemen to b- b- tighten the load, if you will. I mean, he doesn't have to play 30 minutes a game anymore, and I think he can still be successful. You saw him get his contract extension when you have guys like McAvoy on the back line and you're not having to rely on a guy <laughs> into his 40s as great as he was.
1: Yeah, that was the thing. It's just, you know They went on and found guys that were capable to shoulder a heavy load and take off this slack. they would have got out and got some bums. It might not have worked out, and this might not be the, the conversation we're having about them this year, but they found guys that could carry the load on the blue line and Char can still be a dominant force and not be gassed going into you know the, the crucial part of the year.
0: What do you make, Eric, of Toronto this season? Because I feel like either, either we're going to realize that they might have been a little overrated or they just flew under the radar and were better than we thought because they were the third best team all season just about in that Atlantic division no one's really talking about them. And that's crazy to say with a hockey market and a rabid fan base like Toronto. But are you buying them as being a little underrated? Or do you think they're not quite as good as maybe their point total would lead us to believe?
1: Um, I, I don't know. It's, I think they might just be a little underrated. I feel like there's a lot of stuff going on in that division late and throughout the season that they had Austin Matthews in and out of lineup. So maybe they didn't have as much of that highlight real appeal also during the year. But I think I think they were a little underrated. They kind of flew under the radar just because there was some other bigger stories floating around and they were just consistent. And they were, like you said, always about the third area, not really floating around like outside of that bubble. So I think they were a little underrated just, you know, because there was other things going on that kind of made stole from the lights, which is something crazy to think about uh, talking about Toronto.
0: Yeah, I still have my issues with them defensively. I don't know if they're quite there on that championship level last year. They proved last year in the first round of the series that against Washington that they lost in, I think, six games. They could score with just about anybody with with the Matthews, Mitch Marner line, but can they play championship-level defense? And I hate to say matchups are an issue, Eric, For uh, and I still want to pick uh, an upset, but I hate to say mat- matchups are an upset but are an issue here but I just don't know if this team against Boston is their best chance to win because the Bruins are going to make you earn everything, especially in your defensive zone. Even with some of the way they've changed playing, I just see this being kind of a long, long series for Toronto.
1: Yeah, I know. I think they're, it's going to be tough for them to keep up with Boston coming at them defensively. And then even I think the defensive matchups, you know, this might this could be – a very long series for, you know, some of these younger kids going out against a Zdeno Chara every other shift. I think they're going to be, and for a rude awakening, you know, when they, they played Zdeno Chara for five nights or five games and so many nights and, you know, there could be a little gas. I think.
0: Yep, I agree. I'm going to go with the Bruins in, I will say seven. I'll say this goes the distance, but I just think Boston has enough to wear down Toronto in a seven-game series.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think it's. I think there's going to be. This is going to be a wild series. I mean, jumping from Boston to Toronto in any series is going to be crazy, and I think this could probably yeah, go about six or seven. But it's probably. I think it's definitely Boston.
0: Eric Roberts, Money Mitch effect. Before we go to the next series, I think it's an all, a good time to point out too that we're kind of in an agreement, right? You can't look at just head-to-head record i know these are division teams but the regular season is a lot different from the grind of the playoffs and playing a team that's going to match up on you you know back to back you're not catching them on a uh, on a road trip at the end of a road trip or the start of one
1: no yeah definitely it's a, it's a whole different monster when you know you got seven games against this team night in night out you're focused on them um it's a different animal like people th- can't get up for the pressure and then some people thrive in it so you really just got to look at what what the next game is and win it one game at a time.
0: Speaking about pressure, Eric, the Washington Capitals win another Metropolitan Division, but nobody is celebrating that because it's gotten to the point now where they just have to start succeeding in the playoffs. It's kind of incredible that they haven't made a conference final yet during the Ovechkin era, but here they are playing the Columbus Blue Jackets in the first round. And definitely an interesting matchup. Columbus just eight points behind them in the regular season. Let's talk about the Capitals, because I feel like they haven't really been getting... They, they didn't get as much notoriety or respect, whichever way you want to perceive it. They didn't win the President's Trophy this year. They kind of flew under the radar a bit, but they have looked maybe more vulnerable than they had in regular seasons past. you think the Capitals are getting the form for the playoffs, or do you see some issues that could prevent them from having success yet again?
1: feels like it's going to come down to the same thing it's the whole defense in the back end if that has stood in their way in the past and it's, it's year in year out it's a question will the capitals fall because of defense and mishap and, go, and play in the net and of course what happened this year coming down the stretch Holtby had some games where he just didn't look like he had it and now there's kind of a little bit of goalie controversy going into the series which is seriously felt like the achilles heel toward so many good capitals teams
0: Man, Hopi has looked porous at times, right? I mean, I, it doesn't even look like the same guy. And I think the fact that he had such good years in past is probably the only reason he's hanging on to the job.
1: It's funny that you know these two teams got paired up together. When you got Hopi, who's been investing in conversations, you know, going into this, and you would think that he'd be an automatic, clear-cut game one starter. And then on the flip side of the matchup, you do have that team like the blue jackets who are, you know, you know we're going to win a cup. We're going through, with Bobrovsky, like he's our guy. And it's really black and white on for two different locker rooms.
0: Hope goals against Eric this year, 38th in the league, 2.99. It's just ridiculously bad. I mean, it's just not what we expect a Vesna winner to have. Uh, but they still have that firepower up front. They have Ovechkin. Oh, she's had another great year. Um, off has just been spectacular as well. I feel like sneakily they have a lot of forward depth that maybe they haven't had in years past, but it's going to be needed in full force because Columbus is another team that, Eric, we were high on in the preseason. They've had ups and downs, and, and that is saying something. They had some terrible losing streaks, but a team that was in danger of missing the playoffs, serious danger, goes on a double-digit win streak and solidifies their playoff chances Columbus is a Jekyll and Hyde team, Eric. But what do they have to do to have success against the Capitals?
1: Oh man, I think they're you know they're going to have to ride these these younger kids. And, you know, Seth Jones has cemented himself as like a premier defenseman, and I think a lot of it's going to their success is going to run through how well he plays and how well he can hold up. You know, with, through a long seven game series, probably against the likes of Alexander Ovechkin, of Carlson, of Oshie. And if he can even contribute offensively, I think a lot of it's going to have to rely on how well Seth Jones plays.
0: Yeah, he's going to have to have a big series. I'd be optimistic if I was speaking from that Columbus perspective because the first real good series he ever had as a pro was against the Chicago Blackhawks when he was a Nashville Predator. And I bring that up because that was a high-flying offense, much like Washington. I think he can play very well in those high pace games. This is an interesting matchup because Columbus might not, with the exception of Panarin, who set the uh, Blue Jackets' single-season point record, they're not necessarily a team of stars, but depth-wise, they can go one through four lines with any team in the NHL. Tortorella and Ovechkin obviously know each other. This is where I'm going to go upset. I think the Caps go out in the first round. I like the Blue Jackets in seven.
1: I was out and leaning right there with you, man. I mean, it hurts me because every year I I have my, my my thought process usually pulling for kings and if ovechkin's still in it i want ovechkin to get the cup because i'm a big, big ovechkin apologist but i think you know uh, there, there's just been too many troubles back in the back end where you know you need to have a sense of a certainty and you know hope be and you, that just is too big of a red flag for me so i think i do think the uh, blue jackets upset the capitals here
0: well if we look at history too right what's what's given washington problems really hot goaltenders even before murray Carey price took him out with with uh, montreal we've seen it happen time and time again uh with some great goaltending and i think that could be the case here if has a great series i'm just looking forward to it i think it is a coin flip and if the capitals get by the blue jackets it could be very dangerous but hey what do we know i mean everybody picked chicago last year to beat nashville and look at how that turned out so i'm looking forward yeah to that. i mean it- series
1: yeah, and that's that is. I mean, you you do make a good point because like, I mean, this is also this is also a capital team who's been very successful too, get to get with the same core for a good amount of time. So they could also flip it on and you know flip the coin. It, it, it is going. I think it does go seven. Once it gets to a series gets to game seven, who knows what happens? Honestly,
0: last one in the Eastern Conference: Pittsburgh versus the Philadelphia Flyers. If anybody wasn't a hockey fan in 2012, you should look at the highlights of that series. I don't know if we'll get the full Gong Show, Eric, but. I for one am thrilled that this is a first round matchup.
1: Yeah, talk about animosity between two fan, like two, just everything that is, has to go and deal with a hockey team or a, a fan base. It's they hate each other. I'm sure we'll see some great signs, some great uh, costumes when when the games are in Philly. You gotta really just, if you can't get up for a game like this or even get into a game like this, you gotta check your pulse.
0: So, Claude Giroux had probably his best season as a pro, getting over 100 points. Probably going to be in that MVP finalist range. They have scoring depth themselves. Voracek's been great. Couturier has had a good season. But, this is a tough matchup from a skill and a talent standpoint. My advice to Pittsburgh, I do think Pittsburgh is going to win this series. Pittsburgh just has to stay out of the trash, essentially. Because I think the Flyers are going to want to turn it into that intensity, animosity-driven game. I know the Penguins have been in two long postseasons, winning Stanley Cups and in the past. They may be tired, Eric, but I think their talent will prevail if they don't basically do stupid stuff and take a lot of penalties.
1: No, right. And then it's, it's you see this matchup, and you really just, it, you think back to Philly like Flyers games and teams, and they win these games where it gets crazy, and there's fights, there's post whistle scrums, right? And it always seems like those are the Flyers teams that that have these deep runs. And if yeah, if they can keep the crowd out of it, even. Stay out of the box. Don't get into the the penalty parade. Crosby and the Penguins, I mean, you should, they should be able to. But if things do get a little messy, I think that would play right into the Flyers' hands.
0: This is one where the fans could actually help sway this series because we've seen Pittsburgh get a little rattled at times. And I do think that the Flyers have the advantage on the physical side. I think their depth down to the third and fourth lines is a little better than Pittsburgh's. But if the star players show out, you're going to have a tough time convincing me to pick against Malkin, Kessel, and Sidney Crosby, who, congratulations to every other player this year that's had great years, but Crosby still, with some of his prime time goals, shows me he's right at the top of the NHL apex with level of skill.
1: Oh yeah, I mean, he, he had, what, back-to-back games with crazy, yeah. batting it out of the air, it's like... You think the dude should at least take a little step backwards? And he looks like he's taking leaps forward. It's kind of, it's ridiculous, honestly. The the clip he's playing at, and yeah, on paper, and just basically skill match. Like to skill, you got guys like Malkin, Crosby out there every other shift, and then you got Latang back, who wasn't part of the team that won the cup last year. So it's like a team that honestly is the same every year. Another they got another great player that wasn't even available to him last year.
0: So we're both in agreement there. Penn's moving on. Money Mitch Effect with Fox Sports Radio producer Eric Roberts. Let's go to the Western Conference. I want to start out west in the Pacific Division with the Vegas Golden Knights taking on the Los Angeles Kings. Now, this division was kind of in a distant fourth place with the rest of the divisions this year in terms of point totals at the top and really quality of play at times. But Eric, I don't think we'd be total homers saying we're drinking the Kings Kool-Aid in this series given that they have played pretty well down the stretch, Quicks back to being, you know, a great goaltender, Kopitar played well, Brown scoring goals. But I'm looking at how the Vegas Knights finished their season. Not very well. They weren't the team that they were in the first half of the season and teams started to beat them in Vegas. Is there a real possibility for a Kings upset this series?
1: Oh, I oh, I yeah, we're, we are definitely drinking the uh, Kings Kool-Aid here because they came out hot and it was honestly that they could not lose a home ice but now you know they, that, was, that was their Achilles heel and, as to a point because now we're winning in home ice and they aren't on we're beating them on home ice when they aren't even a great road team so they've came down to earth a little bit and you know the Kings are a good road team they're, they're a seasoned veteran team um, they've been there before they know defensively who they are they're one of if not the best defensive team in the league and I think, yeah, I think this could, could blow up on the, the Golden Knights here pretty quickly. And, you know, a, a great season, but when it, losing when it matters most.
0: Now, I know that the, they've been there before. Narrative can sometimes be cliche and, and could be pretty tiresome and lazy at times. But when you take a Kings team that has won Stanley Cups with a lot of the core members that are on that team, and you flip the script and say Vegas has had, other than Flurry and James Neal, really limited experience... I think that's what's going to be uh, the fascinating thing. What does Vegas do in their first playoff run? Now they are playing with house money, no pun intended, but it is going to be something to see Vegas in meaningful games against a team that, like we said earlier, is going to scout you and play you on back-to-back consecutive nights, nice consecutive games.
1: Yeah, and, and like you said, the experience narrative can be a little tiresome, but this is one of the ones where it's like it's the elephant in the room. you got to think about the number of times, how many how – many, Players on this Kings team have their name on the cup twice. And how, how many, many players won, and on and the other how many team, have won
0: big road games too?
1: Yeah, I mean they they've gone. Yeah, like one one of those runs, they won three game sevens on the road. <laughs> I mean, and some of these guys haven't even been in the building for an NHL playoff game yet. So it's 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 the elephant in the room. But this is one of those things where it's like, oh, but, but what if? But with this locker room, I don't think this is even a what if scenario. Like you look at the, who's leading them and the leaders in that locker room, and I think they got the the young guys. Tucked under their wing, and they'll be blinders on to all the outside nonsense.
0: Well, I like the Kings here in six games only because it's never easy with the Kings. They never just take care of business quickly. It's always dragging on. More. Yeah, so I wouldn't. I instead. wouldn't
1: even be surprised if they lose. They go down o two in the series just to make things a little interesting for everybody.
0: Before we move on, Eric, quickly as a Kings fan, where do you rank this Kopitar season? There's been a lot of good ones, but I feel like this one might have been up there given the magnitude of what he had to do to put his team in playoff position.
1: Oh, it's, it's yeah, it's been another level. He's setting career numbers, and you know what? I'd like to think about it too because he's he found another gear for him, and, you know, he's in the heart conversation because of it, but he's also like, pulled up the play with so many other players around him. Like, you look at the season Dustin Brown's having. He's not, we're near having the, the rebound year that he has, if Kopitar's not playing with him. He makes everybody running better, and he's out there for every scenario, and it's its insane the way he's playing.
0: Right, he's the straw that stirs the drink, and he does it in the defensive end, which, even in the neutral zone, I mean, he does it all over the ice, and I think that's the part that the numbers aren't going to tell the full story. Just been, been tremendous watching him play, and, and I'm excited for this series. I know we're both going against Vegas, but... Kings look like they could be peaking here. The other Pacific Division matchup, Ducks and Sharks. Eric, I'm going to be honest. I didn't even realize the Ducks passed the Sharks until the final regular season uh, game ended. But the Ducks do get the two-seed hottest team down the stretch at 8-1-1. One, and one. The Sharks are another team that has had their runs. They turn the roster over, but they still rely on some familiar faces. The Burns, the Thorntons, the Couturier, the Logan Katorish. excuse me. Um, this is another matchup that I don't really know what to do. It has the feel of a betting stay away because we know both these teams can rise to the occasion, but also choke when the big moments come.
1: Yeah, and that's the thing, you know. It's the Sharks had a kind of quick little mini rebuild on the fly situation, you know. And now they even added on, uh, here at the deadline; they brought in Evander Kane. But you know, you, we do kind of have that recency bias because you ne- you don't really know who to take because they ha- you have seen both of these teams collapse in the past. Um, you know the Ducks with the early season sweep, countless games, seventh loss between the both of them. But and it's good. I'm you know what as a Kings fan, I was just happy we didn't pull either one of these two because I didn't want this is probably this is going to be possibly the Penguins Flyers has the the potential to be a little chippy, but this is probably going to be the, like a big boy hockey series, you know, six or seven just grueling physically bang them out games, and I was just you know Kings get get through the Golden Knights, let them beat each other up and then we'll see who he even comes out of the rubble of this series.
0: How many skirmishes do you think Corey Perry starts?
1: <laughs> uh, he'll, he'll probably find one before the game even starts in the in the warm-up. Yeah,
0: I mean, that's that's his role to be a pest out there, and he's also highly skilled at doing it, uh, scoring goals. If I was doing a confidence pool on series picks, this would be my least confident. just want to point that out. Uh, I, I'm not entirely sure which way I'm leaning, even as I say this, but I'm going to say Anaheim, if only for the fact that Kings duck Kings ducks next round would be a very great battle of L A, and I just do trust Anaheim's roster depth. I think they you know they dug that hole early in the season. They had to play well down the stretch. The Sharks I think were a good story that overachieved and took advantage of a of a suspect subpar Pacific Division. But I think ultimately talent wins out. The Ducks were in the conference final a year ago. I think they win this series in a full seven.
1: Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm right there with you. I don't think and I am kind of even just rolling with, you know, the Ducks are peaking at, at the right time and they're 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 clicking on all cylinders at the perfect time of the year. Getsloff and and Corey Perry, they've been there before, they know how to do it and it's it's kind of it's this weird old heavyweight match in the in the West in the Western Conference that just happens every year in the year out, it's, you know, got the Thorntons and the Perrys and the Kopitars and just duking it out and whoever comes out usually has a pretty good shot at getting the cup but I'm going to go with the Ducks here
0: Let's look at the Central Division, the last division left two more matchups to get to the Nashville Predators won the President's Trophy this year which is truly remarkable, the first time in their franchise history they finished with 117 points, most points in the NHL, and they're playing the Colorado Avalanche in the first round, which is another tremendous story, all things considered, the Avalanche who trade away Matt Duchesne during the season Nathan McKinnon goes crazy. They beat the Blues in the last game of the season to get to the playoffs. I like the Avalanche story. I think it's a good one, but I think they're going to get demolished in this series, Eric. I think the Predators <laughs> are just too tough.
1: Yeah, this could be a quick one. I mean, you you, you could you could think sweep. You could definitely have plenty of reason to point sweep, but I mean, most people might give them five. Maybe try to squeak one out at home, just kind of out of respect thing for what they have done. But yeah, this this is a very good National Predators team and. You know, the, I think the avalanches, um, it might about be like, just about midnight there for them.
0: What I think people didn't realize last year was how many players were injured during that run for Nashville. Johansson didn't even play halfway through the conference final and into the finals. They had that player, uh, Fiela, who broke his leg during the Blue Series, and they traded for Nick Bonino. If you add that to the fact that Pekka is significantly better this season than he was a year ago, I mean, you got to consider this team uh, clearly based on overall talent and how they played. The front runner to go to the Cup final.
1: Yeah, and then you know, and then they 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 deal with Mike Fisher retiring over the year. Now they get him back for a, a, a veteran, another veteran presence who can still play. Obviously, with a fresh pair of legs that hasn't been through the whole season grind. I mean, yeah, this team is the already deep. Team last year that came so close got even deeper and even better.
0: I think Fisher just thought. The team might not be as good. It might have been flash in the pan, and then they started winning. He's like, "Wait, I got to get a ring if I can, <laughs> if I can." He's
1: like, "Yeah." I mean, he's like, "Well, man, guys, I was, I was this this vacation home looked a little more appealing. I did not know, you guys would be this good. If you hit a couple more roadies, I guess."
0: Yeah, it's either that or Carrie was just getting sick and tired of him you know, taking up time in the house. <laughs> something there.
1: He might. Yeah, he might have honestly wanted to get away from her. She seems a little fiery, man. I don't know. I,
0: yeah, and you know, I, I got It's funny when the Predators sent a catfish because of. Uh, <laughs> the uh, Panthers overrule, which, by the way, the goal-no-goal no goal rule is just, it's insane. I don't know what goaltender interference is. We've gotten to a point now where the catch rule seems more reasonable in the NFL. I just, I don't know what the rule's going to be from play to play. And I, and I ultimately, in the back of my mind, Eric, I think it's going to screw some team in the playoffs.
1: Oh yeah, it's, its it usually does. There's usually one moment where it's going to come down to either that or, like, slow replay of something in some kind that's really just going to, put a glaring spotlight on it's probably going to be a goal interference call in like a game 7 or something in overtime and it's going to get called back and people are going to be outraged or like outraged. it's just a matter of time I just hope it's not on the Kings that's all I want Yeah, I,
0: I would hope so too I'm going to say sweep in this one but 4 or 5 I think that's what we're looking at this would be a truly amazing upset of Colorado pulled it off and then the last one Winnipeg and Minnesota very very good match up there the Minnesota Wild with 101 points taking on the Winnipeg Jets who finished second in the NHL with 114 points. Eric, they had the best record at home, 32-7-2, and they also had the player who scored the most power play goals this season at 20, Patrick Line. A. I'm very bullish on this team. I'm not going to hide that going into this preview. But I do think the Wild, given how they play, can make this a series, given that environment, given their experience. Winnipeg, though, is just too tough in all phases of the game.
1: Yeah, they are a... They're as- offensively gifted as any team that's left in this in this season i mean the punch that they have both you know five and on the power play and they can they can run with any team and it's going to come down to you know and you know the wild losing of sutter the earlier to the yeah. the off i forget what he injured but that's a huge hit you know that's that's big minutes from a big time guy big time player which only hurts a team that's coming in against such a potent offense like the the jets
0: you know, and, and I'm glad you brought that up because that's going to be a backbreaker with a team that has as many bodies as the Jets and are as big and physical. That, that's the one thing they've had with Schleffly, with some of the guys up front. Line A has some size. The way Blake Wheeler plays. I just don't know that Minnesota with Sutter out has the, uh, the horses, has the wherewithal to go stride for stride in a best-of-seven series. I think they could push it to six, but I just like how Winnipeg plays. And you know for a fact that fan base is going to be going crazy to see their Jets back in it and with a legit chance to
2: win.
1: Oh yeah, there's you know there's several teams that you like to see in the playoffs just because you know you're going to get a crazy atmosphere in a wild game, especially you know if you get an OT winner or something on their home ice. Winnipeg's always circled, Boston's always circled, Washington's even circled. There's these these teams that are. And then you got you got the reason you know the Jets is, they're they're playing in an old AHL arena so it's a small it's high everybody's on it. it gets wild it gets loud they'll be doing the whiteout I love watching Winnipeg Jets playoff games
0: oh yeah it's gonna be good uh, with all due respect to the state of hockey I'm gonna go Jets in six I just think they're too tough a has been amazing. Only thing he hasn't really you know, shined on is that beard, but maybe when he gets a little older, it'll, it'll come through. Yeah,
1: you, know, you forget these guys are kids, man. You, if You look at him and you see him with the facial hair. You're like, oh, that's right, this kid is only like in his twenties. What the hell?
0: Well, it's crazy. I think he's you know one of only three players to get forty goals in a season before the age of uh, while being a teenager. It's Gretzky, him, and I forget the third name, but um, yeah, I mean, just an unreal season. I want to give one last shout out to. Who the guy that tied for fourth in the league in goals this year? Eric, tied with Evgeny Malkin, forty-two goals. Eric Stahl. not who anybody he's would really, expect.
1: <laughs> he's really found a team, man, and a system that works for him. You know, it's it's he's he's clicked, man. He's got like a pep in his step out in Minnesota.
0: Everyone thought he was done. He was washed. He could have been signed by just about anybody, and uh, Minnesota finds him and he does very well there. So, barring a, a Nick stealing the series, I, I gotta like. Winnipeg here. All right, Eric Roberts, Money Mitch effect. Let's look at some uh, potential Cup picks. If I had to ask you two teams right now to play for the Cup, who are they going to be?
1: So I mean, I it's I hate taking the Kings. I really do because I always I get I feel like locked in this tug of war mm-hmm. between my heart and like am I thinking with my heart? Am I thinking with my my brain? But I do think I mean they're 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 deeper than they have been in the past. They're more I mean. They're more evenly distributed, I should say, actually. And they have the core. They have guys, you know, that have been through the hall. So I do like the Kings coming out of the Western Conference. I think, you know, they probably run into a Predators team, and then I'm just strapped in for one of the most wild rides of my life and a probably seven-game series between the Kings and the Predators. But I do like the Kings coming out of the Western Conference.
0: Okay. And in the East?
1: And in the East, I mean, there's so – so I've been I've been actually teeter tottering here between the Lightning and the the Penguins, mm-hmm. just because I I mean I've, I'm right there with the kind of same argument. They have the steps and they have people that have been successful more so on the Penguins, but the Lightning they've been there every year. You know they might not have taken that last step to get there, but I'm going to take the uh, I'm going to take the Lightning over the Penguins in the Eastern Conference final.
0: Okay, well with all you know, first I'll say with the Eastern Conference, I agree. I like the Lightning. I think they're going to be I think they'll be able to get through the Bruins in the next round and I think the Metropolitan's going to be some pretty physical physical hockey. I just think Tampa Bay has the depth to get through it. With all due respect to the potential matchups that we could see the Battle of LA, Pittsburgh and Washington again, Tampa Bay and Boston, the second round series, basically the series this postseason I'm most looking forward to seeing is Nashville and Winnipeg. I just think that's going to be amazing. I'm going to pick out of the Western Conference to play the Lightning in the final, the Winnipeg Jets, and I'm picking Winnipeg to win the Cup. That's my team right now.
1: <laughs> that would be a wild series, Winnipeg and Lightning, right? That's what you said.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think. Uh, yeah, I think that that's would be
1: going with a Steven Stamkos, Patrick Laine headline oh. series. That would be that would be insane.
0: Cause you agree? I think my friend said last week on this show you agree with the fact that this is the best Canadian team, best positioned Canadian team to win the cup since Vancouver, right?
1: Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. They have they have the depth. They have the uh, you know somebody in there who can you know maybe not a Miller level p- player, but who's not who's capable back there. And you know, offensively, like like we said, they can do good out with every, any one of these. They be only one A to one B to a team with you know Stamkos and and the Lightning squad.
0: I'm with you on Kings to the Western Conference Final. I just can't see them beating that Nashville Winnipeg team, unless it's yeah, just that the most be, gruesome if, series if, ever, and they both end up beat up and sore. Uh, but I just I can't see that. That's where I like the Kings to get through that Pacific Division melee. But and it's a step up when you play the big boys from the from the Central. Whoever comes out of there, presumably.
1: Yeah, whoever comes out of the little Pacific Division bracket is going to be just. It's gonna. <laughs> they're going to be bruised and battered, and they're probably they'll be. Somebody playing, we'll, we'll find out once they're out. Somebody playing on with like a broken leg or a tibia or something. And it's going to be the, the true warrior status kind of stories come out through yeah. that part of the bracket.
0: Yeah, that's always the, uh, the most fun game is to figure out which player had the most gruesome injury that they played through for the entire playoffs. So it's yeah. always fun
1: and you get Then you get the laundry list on Locker Day and it's like, wow, these guys are, get some. They have some injections going on somewhere. Jesus Christ.
0: Oh, can't wait for that. Well, Eric Roberts, this was fun. We got to rest up before the playoffs start. It was uh, it's good chatting with you. We'll do this again sometime while the uh, while the playoffs are going on. But thanks for coming on the show.
1: Definitely, man. Ready for some playoff hockey.
0: Huge thanks to Eric Roberts for appearing on today's show. Big Stanley Cup playoffs coming up. I think this will be one of the better ones. A lot of drama. lot of excitement. Some new teams into the mix should be very fun. Thanks again to Eric for hopping on the show. Next up it is Todd Speedburner Robinson to talk NBA action. The last day of the regular season is today. We break down the seeding, how we think it's all going to shake out and what each contender looks like going into the playoffs. Some trouble in Golden State. What do the Cavs look like? Is Houston as legit as they seem? And Can anybody further down in the rankings make a run? Todd Speedburner Robinson now. Talk hoops on the Money Mitch Effect. Alright, one day left in the regular season on the National Basketball Association. Mitch Michaels here on the Money Mitch Effect. Time to talk hoops. Bring it back onto the show. Friend of the program, Todd Speed, Bernard Robinson. Todd, welcome back. We've made it through the entire NBA season.
2: Yes, what a long, winding road uh, it has been. And um, quite a culmination tonight with a couple monster games with playoff uh, ramifications, including a play-in game in the West.
0: Yeah, it's, uh, I, I always do bash the NBA at times for parody, but for the lack of parody, I should say. But this has been a pretty good year in terms of a regular season fight. We have a lot up for grabs down to the final night of the season, and that's what this show is going to be just talking about the playoff pushes, the playoff seedings, and how these teams in both conferences got where they did. Todd, let's kick it off in the Eastern Conference, where. At the time of this show, we'll be releasing this later today, so it will still be a full day of games to play before the season ends. Only three of the seeds, 1, 2, and 5, are locked in to where they are. The rest are still up for grabs. All eight teams are in the playoffs, but it is Toronto, Boston, Philly, Cleveland in the 1-4 to four range. Philly and Cleveland fighting for that three spot. Start at the top, Todd. The Raptors get the one seed, and if I talked to you about a month ago, We'd probably be drinking more of the Toronto Raptor Kool Aid, but since then they've kind of struggled a bit. They've lost some big matchups to some top teams. Given the state of the Eastern Conference, some injuries. You think the Raps are legit this year, or is it same old, same old Toronto?
2: I definitely think they are improved and more legit. Does that win them the East? Uh, they could bump into LeBron in round two. So, and what a load he's carried. I, you know, I think they're very legit. I think in the in the West, you know, I think they they would clearly be the, the third-best team and um, give maybe Houston and, and Golden State a little run. But uh, I like the pieces they have, they, even though they've had really kind of a disappointment from, like, Norman Powell this season uh, and some new names, you know, mm-hmm. Van Vliet off the bench. Yes, it's so that they – I think they're legit with the rookie helping them out uh, and Anobi, kind of a defensive specialist. I, I think they are legit. I just don't know that um, LeBron's greatness will be vanquished by them. Uh, but that's uh, that's what makes the playoffs uh, kind of interesting coming up here.
0: Yeah, depth wise, they're a lot better. Uh, you, you always wonder about LeBron and this team, and if it's a big brother, little brother mentality because they were the team, the Cavs beating them twice uh, and beating them with LeBron going crazy, doing just that. I think part of it is the fact that we just haven't seen them. We haven't even, I mean, Todd, we haven't even seen them win a game one at home, <laughs> which is insane that they still can't do that yet. Maybe it changes this year. Um, but I think a lot of people, and this will segue into the next team are more on bullish of this team because of what's happened at the top of the conference with the Boston Celtics. I mean, they were a team that we thought was finally a legit contender for Cleveland in the Eastern conference depth, you know, length on the wings and then all the injuries started culminating with Kyrie Irving. I don't want to write off a Brad Stevens coached team from doing some damage in the playoffs, but they pretty much have no chance, right, without Kyrie to get to the finals.
2: Yeah, in terms of taking the East crown, you're going to need your superstar. Uh, I like Rogier a lot in his place, uh, a, a very quality backup and kind of an unsung out of nowhere. But, yeah, you're going to need your star, Tatum has cooled from his, you know, really the first forty games of the season. He was kind of in fuego, the rookie. He is still a great talent, but uh, you know, a, a, came back to earth somewhat. Jalen Brown has been, uh, you know, he's he's kind of up and down, but he he can explode a bit, you know. But they still, I talked about this when we were when we did a little podcast in November. They still don't have like a big shot blocking menace in there.
0: No, they don't. Um, And uh, I do think Tatum hit that rookie wall. You've seen flashes, Jalen Brown. I mean, he dropped like 21 in the first quarter last night. I think there's a case to be made that they could, in theory, get to the conference finals, but you're going to run into either Cleveland or Toronto, and that's where I think it has to end, um, assuming things go according to plan. It's it's unfortunate because Kyrie was, was coming into his own earlier this season, but those knee injuries are tough, and I think a lot of people forget Todd before you know he hit the shot and before he was Kyrie the Wizard with the ball. This is a guy that's had some injury problems.
2: Oh, totally. Yeah, no, he had a, ha- a very hard time uh, playing really seventy games uh, first few years of his career. Heck, going back to his college days, he missed most of his one and done season at Duke, if I'm not mistaken. So, yeah, you know he he does get injured, and it's Interesting in, in wake of the Kyrie for Isaiah Thomas deal, how how that's kind of panned out with uh, injuries to both of them, and it moving on to a rebuilding Lakers squad, and so very interesting the developments of this season um, as well as uh, the Boston development. It started with Hayward, you know, day one, bam. Yeah, about sixty. Kind of their, about you know, sixty
0: games total for I mean Hayward only the first game, Kyrie about sixty just for those two big offseason acquisitions. I mean, it's a recipe for disaster, uh, anyway you slice it. But Todd, there's one team that's not anything like a disaster right now: the Philadelphia 76 Sixers. 15 games in a row, a win streak. They were 36 and 30, a lower-level playoff team, just kind of happy to be there after all the the tanking and all the injuries and everything that they've dealt with. They're 51 and 30 right now, and a lot of it is without Joel Embiid in the lineup. We could start with a variety of reasons for why, but I, I gotta think Ben Simmons is near the top of the list. Just a phenomenal rookie campaign for him.
2: Simmons is phenomenal. He, he's going to his rookie year is going to close at with a sixteen eight eight slash line, mm-hmm. um, almost two steals a game, almost a block a game, and for a guy who you know can't shoot. Uh, the guy's shooting 54.7%, which means he's so smart he takes the shots that he's got a decent percentage, that he knows he can make half the time and even better than half the time. You've got his free throw percentage and the notorious, you know, half-court offense in um, in the playoffs, and that's an issue. You know, he shoots sub-56% from the line. That might sting them a bit. But, um, no, he is great. He's had an all-time rookie year. The other thing with Philly is, you know, very low level under the radar, they grabbed Ilyasova and Bellin- Bellinelli this yeah. season midseason and those are those are just two like very solid bench role playing guys who in a tough drag out, you know, conference uh, a playoff series, but th- those guys are going to play some key minutes and some key roles and um step a big, and by the way, that 15-game winning streak, that's the longest in franchise history, and so you might just shrug your shoulders and go, oh, well, okay, they're the Sixers. Jesus, when were they last good? Well, I'm so old I actually remember, and um, the 1983 team, you know, Moses Malone and Julius Irving and yeah. Andrew Toney, Mo Cheeks, you know, there's some all-time Hall of Famers there. That team won 65 games and didn't win 15 in a row, so uh, quite an impressive uh, team record there, uh, for sure. And two years ago, they won 10 games, and <laughs> now they have 50-plus. Yeah. Two years ago, 10.
0: Who could forget that? I really like how they built this roster up with guys like Covington and Redick, and the, and the players you mentioned, Bell and Elia Sova, they can knock down shots, make things happen. Dario Saric has played well. They're going to need MB to be real contenders, but it's crazy to think that they can actually make a run at the Eastern Conference, but I've seen them match up with Cleveland, beat them twice in the last month or two, so it's definitely possible, Todd Robinson, Money, Mitch effect. The Cavs, on the other hand,
2: and he is a surreal yeah. talent. He's and, unbelievable. And could stalk every everybody, he he's he's really a basketball savant. It just he's so smooth and just like casual. Like he just, it's as if he's been doing this, you know, for fifteen years in the league. It, the way he plays out there, he's just so. I don't know. It, it's a it, it's a hard. It's an intangible, but he, he has it. Just got, and, to see, um, just
0: got to see and, him on the court. That's all we want is can he play
2: oh boy. You know, the
0: grind of keep a Keep those also.
2: limbs and joints uh, and tendons healthy, uh, Joel.
0: So, Todd, there's a lot to talk about with the Cavs, as always. There's usually a lot of drama on and off the court. There's uh, a, a high level of skill, but a lot of turmoil in a team that just expects a title or it's a failure every season. Let's start with the good. LeBron James. <laughs> he's going to play, as you mentioned before he we went on, a full 82 games this season. Statistically, maybe his best year as a pro. And he looks refreshed and rejuvenated. It's truly remarkable to see what he's doing. And I don't want to you know be too much of a pessimist, but for him to be doing what he's doing and us to not be saying they're a lock to go to the Eastern Conference, to go to the finals, is truly amazing.
2: Yeah, his numbers, first of all, he's never averaged better in rebounds per game this is his career high at 8.7 barely besting in 8.6 season and then 9.2 assists is significantly better than any other diming season he's averaging 27.7 points which is the best since 09 2010 that season and he's shooting 54 percent again and he's just had these heroic put the team on your shoulders and and go to work games so And, and, you know, he's, he's what, 33 -hmm, turns. He he is 33.
0: Yeah, he'll be 34 in December, but it's year 15. I know, I know years when you come out of high school don't necessarily mean as much, but a lot of miles, uh, a lot of miles for sure. My big question, Todd, with this team, and and you see them get beat, why I think Toronto and even Philly have a chance against them in a playoff series their backcourt play has not been very good, and defensively on the perimeter, top to bottom, they just have not been good. Uh, I know they got Nance, who's more of a rim protector, but this team can be outscored, even with LeBron going absolutely crazy.
2: No doubt. I mean, they have holes. You know, Jair Smith's not what he used to be, and, and what he used to be was a, a very good role player, but but not even great. George Hill is a nice, nice midseason acquisition, but he's... Um, You know, he's solid, and he's not really a young, fresh guy anymore as well. You know, Kevin Love is back, notorious defensive issues. You know, Larry Nance was huge. That was a major addition, and and also getting the other Laker, Jordan Clarkson, for a little youth on the wing. But, uh, yeah, the, the defense has been basically if they made the finals this year I, I in reading some articles on on their advanced numbers it, it would be a first in terms of their <laughs> win loss their point differential they'd have the lowest point differential to ever sneak into an nba finals. so they have to buck the odds to do it but if any player can buck the odds it's lebron and company especially because you've got the inexperience on philly the kind of, you know, intimidated, mentally psyched out potentially Toronto Raptors and the We Lack a Star Celtics. So, you know, there's warts on all the other teams, so Cleveland could certainly do it. I think it's it's more interesting than it's been in the last few years for sure to see if they actually will.
0: Yeah, and depending on what happens tonight, I mean they're twenty one and twenty on the road. So they're a five hundred road team as well. So they they have their issues, but so do all the other teams at the top. It makes it fascinating Uh, how the rest of the Eastern Conference, the Pacers locked in at the 5 seed, and then Milwaukee at 6 with Miami and Washington at at 7 and 8. How funny is it that Miami and Washington, the only teams from that southeast division, thank God they don't get guaranteed a 3 seed like in years past. But any one of those teams can get to 6 because both Miami and Washington have the, the tiebreaker over Milwaukee. So a lot left to be decided there for matchups. But as far as those teams go at the bottom, I do have to bring up the Pacers because I think a lot of people still are sleeping on how potentially dangerous this team could be. They're not flashy, but Oladipo's been great. They have some size inside, and they're just a gritty team.
2: Yeah, you know, it's funny. Both guys that uh, OKC gave to Indiana for Paul George have just shined brightly. Sabonis, the, uh, the young second-year guy, um, Arvidas Sabonis' mm-hmm. the son, has really turned into be a, a rock solid player, and of course, uh, Depot, who's probably going to be the most improved player, a phenomenal uh, season he's had, and and what's interesting with their you know kind of surprising forty eight win season, uh, they're locked in their season's done forty eight and thirty four, but um, they're doing this with Miles Turner taking a massive step backwards. Mm. He uh, he is just really not. Um, I think he had concussion issues, and I don't know if it's lingering or what, but he's just been a shell, a quiet shell, of of the player that he's flashed glimpses of being. So it's it, very interesting squad, that that Pacer squadron.
0: Yeah, and, and I think they're, especially if Philly drops out of the 3 seat, that could be a very dangerous series there. I just don't really trust any of the other teams in the Eastern Conference. Washington, it's been the same old story of, they got these two great players in Wall and Beal, but they just can't put it together. Um, seems like something's missing there. Milwaukee doesn't really, I don't know if we found, I mean, kid got let go, but the right coach, the right system to really utilize Giannis. And Miami is going to be you know, a ferocious team, but I think they lack in the talent department. So I'm not as bullish on the bottom of the East past that five number as maybe some other people might be.
2: No, I, and I'm we're uh, in agreement there. Definitely, they're, you know they're they're nice teams, and um, I mean there were times in the East when 40 wins was getting you an eight seed. So it's nice to see that at least we've got some solid winning records at the bottom. But uh, they're not probably not ready to battle. It's certainly the top four, uh, the Toronto, uh, Boston, Philly, Cleveland uh, grouping. Especially Philly with Embiid, of course, uh, being the big key when an he answer. comes back.
0: It's going to be an interesting playoffs, but the first round might go chalk as it usually does in the Eastern Conference. Todd Robinson, Money Mitch Effect. Let's look at the West. Starting out with Houston, got to give them their props. They're either going to go, they look like they're going to go 66 and 16 this year, which is stupid, especially since they've lost, what, two games since the All-Star break. They've been phenomenal all season, but we know this team's going to be judged on how they do in the playoffs and if they win a championship. Yeah, I don't like what you've seen, though, and the potential is there to certainly go all the way, given that Chris Paul and Harden have played about as well as anyone could have imagined together.
2: Definitely, and Chris Paul is someone who doesn't get mentioned a lot. You know, Harden's throwing up another phenomenal statistical season, joining uh, you know the 30, 30 points a game club, and uh, and another club 30, 30 points and seven assists. I've actually have a list. Of all the guys in NBA history who've averaged 30 points and seven dimes, LeBron, Oscar, Jerry West, Iverson, Dwayne Wade once, Michael Jordan once, Tiny Archibald, Westbrook, and Harden. So it's (laughs) phenomenal, the numbers he's putting up. But, uh, yeah, CP3, rock solid. And I think, you know, he's going to be so motivated. You know, that's a hyper-competitive guy but just didn't, you know, a little bit on his own, didn't get it done with the Clippers and a little bit, just, you know, the, the other players weren't, uh, the roster wasn't deep enough around him, but, um, another stealthy mid season acquisition, Gerald green in yeah. Houston. You now here's a guy who was known as a high flying straight out of high school guy from 2005, way back then, but he's still only 32 and he's got some of that athleticism. And, uh, He's kind of defined himself a role in the league. He rebounds okay at a small forward. He, he bombs threes and uh, can play a little D. And, and it's really neat to see him play a significant 20 minutes a night role, especially as Ariza ages. Um, you know, he was in the 2004 draft, so Trevor's getting up there. So a, a key little acquisition to, uh, and as well the improvement of Clint Capella. Yeah. who's stepped up his game very nicely this year as well.
0: He's perfect for that offense as Capella, and we know Harden's been just a, a, an unbelievable player. He He's cut back, I think, a little bit of his iso ball as well. I think Houston's going to be very dangerous, as we all expect. Their, their rival, the team that everybody expects to be okay, I should say, is Golden State. But Todd, they're 7-10 and 10 in their last 17 games. I know Curry's been out. They've dealt with some injuries. But is there more to this than meets the eye? Are you in the camp that it's the Warriors when Curry's back they'll be fine, or is there some serious red flags and dangers for this team?
2: Well, it's it's hard to say, oh, Curry'll come back and they'll be fine, because what will Curry be? Ninety percent, ninety five, a hundred, eighty, we don't really know precisely. Yeah, they, they they seem a little edgy. Kevin Durant has yeah. really like uh, morphed into a very chippy, technical yeah, getting those objections. Yeah, you know he he was a very kind of easy guy to root for in OKC, quite kind of a quiet, humble superstar. And he got real emotional when he won the MVP in OKC a couple years ago. And now he's kind of the villain and the, the black hat and the black tape. Um, and the whole team is kind of so it's um it's a tough call. I don't trust them. I, any team that goes stumbling, almost like a, a drunk guy, stumbling down the street, you know, wandering, you know, zigzag pattern, that's kind of how they're stumbling into the playoffs. Seven and ten run. That's just – That's. I know it's like to flip the switch and this is go time, and they'll probably win the first round relatively easy, but I don't know. I, I think it's hard to trust Houston because they've never really been there and done it. It's hard to trust Golden State. The bottom line is most interesting playoffs in the last half decade plus, maybe.
0: Yeah, this has a real 2013, 14 Miami Heat feel in that until we see it, we're gonna always just assume that Golden State will get by. But they could go out, you know, in a blaze of you know infamy. They could get not swept, but you know, five, six games just beat down away in a way that Miami did. That wouldn't surprise me either because we just haven't seen it. We expect them to be in that title discussion until they aren't.
2: If you gets the three seed and they, you know, and they get them in round two, wow, that's that's going to be uh, you know Rudy Gobert. Now you got to deal with defensive, just you know, as excellent as Houston is offensively, is almost you know Utah defensively. So, you know, that that's a nightmare for a team trying to gel and then trying to mix Curry back into the equation, assuming he's ready to come back in round two. So, yeah, yeah, <laughs> there's there's some intrigue out there for sure.
0: Well, we wanted to do this podcast with the best seating as possible, knowing what they were going to be. Todd, there's no way that was going to happen. Teams three through nine in the Western Conference with eight and nine playing a playing game tonight are separated by two games. I mean, one game from three it's to phenomenal.
1: seven. phenomenal.
2: It, the statistical odds against that, I don't know what they are, but they're large. To have two games separate three through nine on on final day it's it's silly yeah amazing it it
0: is and utah got to the three seed with a six game winning streak eight and two uh, in the last 10 they're tied with portland uh they're in the same division oklahoma city's in that division too but utah and portland play tonight so one of them is going to win and lock in at that three seed the other could slide down the standings pretty far but you have those two teams the pelicans who with with uh, Boogie going out, Davis going absolutely ham, the Spurs trotting along without Kawhi all season, OKC, the rush show again, and then Minnesota and Denver playing in. What what has really stood out to you in this Western Conference playoff race? Forgot to mention Donovan Mitchell again, who just basically saved Utah's season, but so many good stories and storylines of teams that had to use every ounce of energy just to get to where they are.
2: It's more amazement. Like New Orleans and Anthony Davis and what they've done – I, I broke down what they've done since because uh, went out and here they've been nothing but streaks New Orleans since he went out. So he goes out their first game without him is January 28th. They go one and five in their next six games. Then their next 10 games, they go 10 and Oh, then they go one and four. Then they go four and Oh, then they go zero oh and four, then they go four and Oh, and they're on a four Oh streak right now. So, you know, New Orleans, it's, phenomenal that they, they they haven't it's everything's been streaky since because but mostly on the positive side but you took six games to kind of adjust and then they um and then they got on a bit of a tear anthony davis will probably be um will definitely will be top five in the mvp voting oh, yeah. probably will not be top two that's amazing the donovan mitchell development i mean here's a guy who's now the offensive hero And this guy was the 13th player taken in the draft. I mean, that just doesn't. Yeah, in the NBA
0: and most threes now by a rookie ever. He passed Lord's record, so hit 186 threes going into his final game. Incredible.
2: Well over two a game, a combo guard, ridiculous athlete. It's just so rare that a guy outside of the top ten has this kind of an impact his rookie year. It just, it's. I'd have to do research, and I I will. In our next podcast, I'm going to come up with it because I'm very curious. Any pick 11 and below in an NBA draft who's had a rookie season, I mean, he's 20 points, you know, 3.7 dimes, 3.7 boards, a steal and a half, shooting 44% for a guard who's shouldering the load offensively, a rookie guard, a 44% shooting percentage is really pretty impressive in today's NBA because a lot of them are from distance. I think he's thirty-eight point something percent from distance. So, you know, he, he he's an amazing story, and combine that with Rudy Gobert and you know Ricky Rubio there now, and Favors kind of getting into his role, and Joe Ingles, who kind of just he's your classic savvy white guy, just kind of gets it done with a minimal amount of athleticism and burst, <laughs> but um, he's just a baller. He's a player. So, and, and how about they're Rob? an interesting team.
0: Yeah, how about Russ at OKC, though? Because I want to change topics there. He's 16 rebounds away tonight from getting another triple-double average for a season. He got 18 a night ago. He clearly knows what he's going for.
2: Oh, yeah. He's he's going for it. And I think it, it's a testament to his greatness that people are kind of a shoulder shrug at a second straight triple-double season. Whereas last year it was kind of the talk of the league that, you know, he's doing it. He's going to do it. Wow, wow, he did it. Yeah, he's played nine point nine rebounds uh, a game. Going to lead the league in dimes, twenty five points a game, and you know he's it's kind of under the radar, but he is uh, for his career eight point two assists a game. That's number twelve all time for his career. And this is a guy you think of as you know like a, a ball hog and and shoots too much and a big score and and all that, but guy throws some amazing passes too. So. Um, I don't know how much I believe in OKC as a threat, No. Yeah, um, I'm, but I'm, I'm I do believe out. Westbrook's a phenomenal guy to watch, and um, and it's, it's still amazing what he's doing.
0: Yeah, Melo just doesn't seem to have it anymore, which is sad, um, or, or at the very least not fitting in on this team. But even so, I mean, I gotta say, w- the Spurs getting here, Todd, has just been insane to me too, because... Talent wise, I don't think they're in the top eleven or twelve based on who's actually been playing in these games in the West. But here they are, right at the six seed, just trotting along.
2: Yeah, and and you're, they're breaking in a second-year point guard um, who's really not a shooter at all. And and they've you know I, I don't know maybe it was 35, 40 games into the year where they they put in uh, Dejounte Murray and sat Tony Parker wisely, I think, um, both for this. Season and the future, uh, you know, Lamarcus Aldridge has stepped up. Um, the weird Kawhi, you know, that that was mysterious from the get-go because from the get-go preseason, you know, they were like maybe he'll be ready opening night, and then it wasn't even close. It, it's very bizarre, but but they've How Gasol gets it done kind of, you know, ten points, eight boards helps out a bit. And he's doing ten points, eight boards in and sub twenty four minutes a night. So, you know, he's very efficient. Patty Mills, I never liked the guy, but he does what he does. <laughs> yeah. Man who man who's still getting twenty minutes a night, which is like, wow. He's forty. He truly is forty. <laughs> and yeah. So, they're,
0: and there's splits at um, home in a way. They're thirty three and eight at home, fourteen and twenty six on the road. So um yeah, it's just been a bizarre season. But credit to Popovich.
2: Traveling is tough on old men. Uh, yeah, so, that's uh, true.
0: <laughs> a lot of Vicks Vapor Rub and stretching beforehand. Um, Todd, the last, <laughs> yeah, the last two teams fighting for a playoff spot, Minnesota and Denver, played a night in an unofficial playing game, which is kind of cool. Both teams at forty six and thirty five, they played a night. Todd, I think it's a bigger story if Minnesota doesn't make the playoffs, given the fact that. You know, they bring in Jimmy Butler. They have Cat, who's been, you know, having a good year, mostly pretty dominant. Uh, But they might miss the playoffs. And Denver is another team that I know we've had some expectations for them, but they're still in that fun team mode. Jokic has done a great job as well. But, you know, I I think Minnesota has a lot more pressure riding on tonight's
2: game. A hundred percent in agreement. The pressure is on Minnesota. You know, they got Butler there. Wiggins has really not – he's kind of gone backwards on defense, and he hasn't expanded his kind of game on offense. He's still not much of a helper outside of scoring a bit. Um, He's kind of – he has great ability and an innate athleticism to play defense, and when motivated, he can lock down. So – yeah, the pressure's there. They got Teague there now. I mean, it, yeah, it's all the pressure is on them. Denver was not expected to kind of get it all together so soon. Jokic is a phenomenal passer, he, he, mm-hmm. a great player, but he passes kind of like Larry Bird. That like like the ball is in and out of his hands, you know, in a split second. He just he he's ahead and boom, he, he does these slap passes. He's amazing. Sure. Denver has
0: that feel like that young, fun, like kind of how Boston was team from a few years ago, where they have all these assets and a lot of depth. But I think they're going to need to make a move to get another star in there to play along Jokic. So it'll be interesting to see what they do and what roster moves they make going forward.
2: Yeah, a more athletic, maybe menacing presence inside as well. You know, the Will Barton. Will Barton's like an unsung hero who just is a baller, and Wilson Chandler's still kind of getting it done. And then, uh, you know, Murray up there. So they, they've got some nice young pieces. And you got a half tip to the coaching staff there and, and the GM. They, they've put together a roster that has developed chemistry and um, and is ahead of the uh, ahead of the game plan, really, in terms of wins and losses at this point.
0: Sure is. Well, Todd Robinson, Money Mitch Effect, before I let you go, i got to briefly touch on some awards three in particular one that i want to spend most of the time on so we'll just go through the first two mvp harden i mean lebron's been great but i gotta say harden because the formula is except for last year great best player on best team and i gotta go harden based on how they've done it compared to the Cavs.
2: i would say my heart and i've never been a Harden fan like as a person or i just not a huge fan I, i recognize his greatness i'm just not a fan but You'd like to see him get it because LeBron has won these before already. Mm -hmm. But honestly, um, I would give – my head says LeBron. It's just so ridiculous what he's done with a roster that, you know, he's just dragging along some guys. But, yeah, I think Harden probably will. I think LeBron will be a close second. I think you're going to have Davis as a more distant third. Mm -hmm. And then I think four and five, I think you got to throw in the Greek Freak. You know, he's 27, 10, almost five dimes, a block and a half, steal and a half, shooting 53%. Uh, There's a guy who's, you know, a a carry-the-load guy. Um, And then Westbrook. So I I think those guys will be – I don't know if Greek Freak will be fourth, but, um, yeah, I, I would put him fourth, and then Westbrook fifth in the MVP voting
0: yeah just with the team doing so well it's going to be hard for I think the voters to and and the fact that Harding kind of didn't win last year which I had a ton of opinions on that but we'll save that um, coach of the year though the second award I want to get to I think there's three guys that you really have to consider Todd it's Brad Stevens, Brett Brown and Quinn Snyder I think Stevens is going to win but I the more I think about what Snyder has done all due respect to Brown he's got to be right there
2: yeah i i like snyder and i gotta i gotta confess i don't know who's coaching denver right now but Mm. whoever is that guy gets a couple votes for me he certainly gets like a third place vote i think but you know snyder i guess brad stevens but i would quinn snyder would be my guy um michael
0: malone is who you're forgetting young malone
2: oh okay yeah yeah um from a coaching tree yeah so Mm. I would, I would, Yeah, Brett Brown, Quinn Snyder, and the Denver guy all over the the Brad Stevens at Boston. Really? So, yeah. the thing
0: with Stevens, though, is all these injuries, I think, is going to propel him to maybe win this award. They're going to finish second in the East without Gordon Hayward all year, and Kyrie, who I know was just down the stretch out for the year, but did miss a lot of time. I don't know. I think... I don't know how this team does if we do the replacement factor, which... can do with other awards too but i don't know how boston does with just an average coach so i don't know That'll, that'll be a tough vote for sure
2: well you know i'm going to take one last quick glance at the celtics roster which you know they are well stocked with some talent you got al horford there who's just your pro's pro you know they did have irving for 60 games Marcus Smart. I mean, look at that kind of depth. You got mm-hmm. Marcus Smart and Lazier off the bench. They added Greg Monroe, who's everyone likes to talk about his defensive shortcomings, and he's not today's modern big. But you know, he's got a great back to the basket game. He can rebound. He can score. So tatum has been a nice rookie. Jalen Brown's developed. So there's there's a decent amount of talent that you know a healthy Hayward is is really a plethora of riches. So I I, I still give the edge to uh the other
0: three well lastly rookie of the year two men i'm not even going to bring up anybody else ben simmons or donovan mitchell just want to point out how awful last year's rookie of the year race was that brogdon won for the bucks averaging about 12 points a game and of course just how it works out we have two candidates that could have easily wanted each of the last four or five seasons but one of them is not going to get the hardware one will and there's the debate over what, whether Simmons should be eligible or not, given that it's his second year. Todd, you mentioned both of them are in the three-seed right now, which is even crazier to think about. How do you see this race and award going?
2: I think you and I and most of the NBA world and the NBA fans would be pretty surprised if they didn't give it to Simmons. The nightly triple-doubles, the 15-game the winning streak, the shouldering the load with no Embiid, um, as phenomenal as Mitchell has been, and, and we touched on that a little bit ago, I think you, you got to give it to Simmons. But yeah, the fact that both candidates are number one this strong in terms of their performance, their numbers, and they're just coming in and, and being so, so good at both of them taking over NBA games as rookies. Uh, that's amazing. And to be on three seeds, potentially both on three seeds, that's unheard of really in in a rookie race usually your rookies they go to crappy teams and the crappy team maybe wins 7 8 12 games more the next year and and maybe they win their rookie of the year but the team's not doing much and so there's kind of a less pressure on these rookies these are two guys who are doing it while jockeying for you know top 4 seeds in their uh conferences it's it's phenomenal
0: I don't like the rule personally. I think it should be a true rookie to be eligible. That's just my personal opinion. But the rule is the rule, and that's why Ben Simmons, I think, is going to win. And, yeah, it's unfortunate for Mitchell because he, he did save their season. If we want to talk about pure importance, it's the whole MVP versus most you know outstanding player award, I think there's a definite argument to make over Mitchell being more important to his team's success getting that three seed. But Simmons has been the rookie of the year. He's been consistent throughout and, and you know, I think it did clinch it. Embiid going down. It's it's weird to say in a way, but that's what I think clinched it to me. Embiid goes down, he keeps his team trucking along. So sorry, Mitchell. Sorry, it's been uh it, it's a tough year to lose it out, but if, if there's any consolation, it looks like he'll have a great career in front of him.
2: Donovan Mitchell is this year's James Harden from last year and the sorry your season was so phenomenal you don't get MVP and that's what we're saying to Mitchell you don't get rookie of the year as phenomenal as you were so and yeah Malcolm Brogdon I mean it's like (laughs) Wow, we were really scraping the bottom of the barrel for decent rookie performances last year. Maybe we'll get to um, a point. Well. Yeah,
0: maybe we'll get to a point where we could have coat. If, if a season's so bad, you can just give out two the next year. I don't know. <laughs> it's just, it was... yeah,
2: seriously, just last year and get in, and slide Simmons into last year's slot. Really. Uh,
0: uh, all right. Well, Todd, this was a blast. We'll have to do this again when the playoffs get going and we finally do know what some of these teams are doing and who they're playing. But Todd Speedburner Robinson, thanks for joining today's show and talking some hoops.
2: Yeah, no doubt. And one thing we didn't touch on on awards is most improved. I got to believe there's nobody in competition with Ola Depot, correct?
0: Yeah, I <laughs> You're right. I didn't even bring that up because it's been so far out of sight and out of mind since about December. <laughs> so, uh um, right. Yeah, he's, he's going to win most improved and uh just been great to watch is, him play. Is Gobert
2: the defensive player of the year? Do we give it? I, I, he's just such a factor. He's such a factor, would, and yeah. he's such a big man.
0: Yeah, it's been weird. I mean, obviously, no Kawhi Green hasn't been quite as good as he was last year. I think he'll be a finalist, but yeah, that's my guy for sure. Yeah, uh, Rudy Gobert. So, so,
2: so I think now we've covered all the bases on the awards.
0: There we go. There we go. Todd Robinson,
2: thanks. I'll another some other second.
0: <laughs> thanks again for joining the Money Mitch Effect.
2: Hey, good to be here, Mitch.
0: Uh, take care then. Big thanks to both Eric Roberts and Todd Speed, Bernard Robinson, for appearing on today's show. Thanks again to Brian Nelson for supplying the logo of the show, the artwork, if you will, Tim Adams for supplying the music. And everybody out there for listening, you can find this show and all episodes of The Money Mitch Effect on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Google Play. Just search Money Mitch Effect and it pops right up. This was episode 140, so I want to thank everybody out there for making this podcast grow and and tuning in, if only for an episode, a segment, or for the duration of most of these episodes. Thanks again to everybody out there. Got another couple of uh, big shows coming up in the following weeks. More hockey playoffs. Going to be all locked in on that. NBA playoffs are starting, and NFL draft next week. You're not going to want to miss our show on that as well. I think it's next week. If it's not, it's the week after, but you know we'll be talking draft for the next couple of weeks. Got to recap that, see what the Browns are doing. This was the Money Mitch Effect. I'm Mitch Michaels. Until next time, keep enjoying sports.